0: A quick note before we start this week's show, this week we forgot to mention the patrons in the show because it got rolling with Andy and the snowball just happened. We'd like to thank you for all your help and support and because of you, it makes the show that much easier. Hey everyone, it's the Against the Grain Podcast. I'm Justin De Palma, and as always, I'm joined by Freddie Roman. Good afternoon. Guy Dunlap. How are you today? And this week's special guest, Andy Berkey.
1: Hi, guys. Thanks for having me on.
0: I'm glad you could be here. Thanks for taking the time. <laughs> let, let me ask you this, Andy, and then we could dive a little bit more into you. As far as what are you working on right now?
1: Uh, right now, I'm kind of uh, trying to get a lot of little projects out of the shop that have just kind of been laying around. Um, I've got uh, a Murphy bed that I've, I need to finish this next week. Uh, kind of a one for a friend of mine and then uh, I've got to do some, some a couple of links of um, handrail exterior handrail for uh, a governor of Illinois uh, ex-governor of Illinois back in the 1800s his mansion so uh, I got to get that one done before the snow flies and then uh, and then I'm cleaning out the shop to for kind of a big year-long project that I can't talk a whole bunch about yet until uh a couple of things, a couple more contracts are signed, but, um, hmm. but yeah, it's, I'm excited to, uh, kind of get a big project in the shop again.
2: Nice.
0: Very, very nice. Cool. So being that you're going to be doing a year long project, does that mean that everything else goes in the back burner? Or are you able to work other things in there while you're doing this one? Or.
1: Yeah. I kind of try to, uh, leave a day or two a week if I'm into something like that. Um, because, uh, If I go full bore, hundred percent, especially with Gothic stuff, I get a little trippy. Um, So it's really healthy for me to jump out of the shop, even in a long term project like that, um, to kind of get my head right and remember, you know, that there's still uh, people that exist and and there's this what century it is. You know what I mean? I, I kind of yeah. get that out of touch if I if I do a deep dive in just got especially gothic stuff.
0: Guy, what are you up to?
3: Uh, I'm not gonna bore you with the honeydew list, but uh, <laughs> I, I did I did finish my little uh, epoxy table for that guy and I'm glad it's done and I never wanna really want to work with epoxy again. <laughs>
0: Not, not your thing, huh?
3: <laughs> no, it wasn't my thing at all. I had a a real hard time with it, and um, just didn't didn't really enjoy the process. But you know, that's it, it is what it is. But uh, it's done. I I gave it to the customer last night, and he's he's happy with it. So that's all that matters, I guess. So, uh, but uh, the biggest thing that's happening in my shop right now it's it's that time of year where it is happening again. Which, which the it is my wife's car in the garage at night.
1: Oh, I hear that.
3: Uh, what a ballbuster.
1: <laughs> it's not even winter. Do you have to do you
3: have to deal with that, Andy.
1: I do. Yeah, I uh, before the first freeze, and they're calling for a freeze warning tonight. So, but before the first freeze, I've got to be able to get her a car in the shop.
3: Every yeah, day at four o'clock. Yep. we got it. We got our first freeze. Well, it didn't freeze last. time. It was down in the 40s, but it was cold enough for her to say, well, uh, today's the day. I'm like, oh, great. Oh, so yeah. That, that's the same for me. It's about 430. I have to tear the shop down, but I can tear my whole shop down in about five minutes. Nice. Push everything off to one side. Um So it's, it's not too bad, but it's just, it's just a pain in the butt. And I did get a new garage door put on my shop
0: too. Oh, I did see that. Which was really
3: nice. Um,
0: And this one's insulated.
3: This one's insulated. I had a wood door before and it looks beefy and everything, but you know, it's the, the wood panels are only like a quarter inch thick. Sure. And, um, it was, it was never insulated very well. So, um that's that's been replaced so i'm looking forward to that but another thing is that that i'm really amazed at how much brighter my shop is inside with that Mm -hmm. reflective white wall at the end yeah it it really Mm -hmm. made a huge difference so but uh that's about it and like i said i won't i won't get into the honeydew list
0: (laughs) freddie what's going on with you
2: what's going on with me um same old, same old. I'm I'm walking like an old man today because uh, I I slightly pulled my my uh, back slightly, so I'm a little stiff. But Ugh. just keep just keep moving and you'll be fine. And um, I got my ours torn apart by a friend of mine named Zach from um, ZK Painting today about how I do all this great work on repairing doors, and then I put a little grade paint on it and it looks like crap, even from the photos. So, you know, it, was, it it's always good to hear people's opinions, especially, um, when guys are, um, so good at, at painting, you know, majority of painters as, as they say are, um, are just applicators and, uh, mm-hmm. and then from the other 10% are actually good, great painters. And he happens to be one of those master painters. And, um, he came in today, he showed me what Fine Paints of Europe is all about, and that I better not use anything else again, or he'll probably slice all my tires. And um, <laughs> But I will tell you this much, I went out and bought some paint today is, for, for fine... Is that a brand of paint? Yes. For the Fine okay. Paints of Europe, I bought some today. Uh, a liter, which is a quart, basically, or a little more than a quart, averages about 50 plus dollars there you go there you go and (laughs) but what i have to say is is that um it it will go the distance a small amount goes distance because you prime everything good coverage and the coverage is great and the durability is nothing that can be compared from any other paint manufacturer out there he showed me samples today that were mind-blowing that it's to the point that i'm going to try to go out and just mainly use uh fine paints of europe and see in a few years if i can get my be certified by the the paint company because it's that good and i've seen doors in boston and while my doors are good they're nowhere near as good as these guys are producing it and um what they're getting per door is is double what i get and i charge a lot of money already for what i for doors and um i can see why they have to charge that much and I can see why customers are happy to charge that much, or get charged mm-hmm. that much. Mm-hmm. So I have that. I have um, the shop again; it's full. I can't walk anywhere, pretty much. <laughs> um, I'm happy to say that there's been a lot of pickups this, today. Uh, but you know, um, it's we're already saying you know next year, next year, next year. And um, if I had to do it all by myself in the shop to the standard that I desire, I'm booked all the way through the fall of next year at least. So that works. Yeah.
1: That
3: works. That's a nice problem to have.
0: Yeah, That's a very good problem to have. Gotcha.
3: (laughs) What about you, Justin?
0: I was working on these doors, uh, or this door for this, this house that had a fire and everything was going well until my saw blade hadn't come in from Laguna. So I've been waiting three weeks. It finally came in. So I had to put the door on the back burner and then I started working on this dining room table. And in the process of that, I went and picked up more wood for it because they hadn't had the wooden stocks. I went, ran up and got that. and Yeah, so just putzing uh, around the table and the I, doors.
3: I, I saw how you cut those half laps with the router jig.
0: I, mm-hmm. I'd never mm-hmm.
3: seen that method before, and I thought I'd seen just about everything. That was uh, pretty cool.
0: I was thinking of doing it all on table saw, and right before I was ready to do it, I was just like, let me just make a jig and do it with the router. So, you,
3: Have you done it that way before?
0: No, okay. but it, it, it's big, it's big, thick material. It made sense once I thought about it. Yeah, it does. So, yeah. I mean, everything's inch and three quarters by, I think it's like inch and a half deep hole. So why,
3: why don't you explain to our uh, listeners exactly how that jig is so they know what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I don't
0: even really know if I can explain it. All it is, is <laughs> it's, uh, I guess it's four pieces, five pieces of plywood. So there's your two side pieces, there's your spacer pieces in the center, and then there's underneath the cross rail that holds it all together and sandwiches your actual piece on the inside. I don't know if this is easy to explain over a podcast, but that all in all those pieces of plywood, you basically made your spacing for your, your collet and everything, your router just plunges in and moves around and then you can move to the next piece as long as you line all your lines up. So yeah, yeah.
3: that's simple, thought, but it works. I thought it was pretty cool.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you. I guess I am showing people stuff that they never seen, or at least, guy, anyways. Yeah, that doesn't
3: mean much. (laughs) (laughs) Is there anything
1: more cool than a purpose-made jig that just does its job perfectly for one thing, and then you toss it, done?
0: Yeah, and the best part is, is that I'll. I then took the jig apart and did three other setups with it, just changing the spacer blocks in it. Nice. And then, yeah, then you throw it away. It's just like, it's just scrap pieces laying around, Yeah. which mm-hmm. I, I was waiting to hear something from somebody to say, what the hell are you using one up plywood for? <laughs> but it's <laughs> what you got laying around it's a little piece. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, no, it, it's, it's coming out good. The fits are very good. And I mean, I, I came close to my layout lines and I cleaned it all up with a chisel. So it should be pretty damn tight. And they are, Nice. The, the, the whole thing with the base still I'm playing with, I guess I'm going to domino the actual bottom of the base, the other piece, because I was thinking of doing it all tenons, but it's, it's just, it's nine inches by nine inches. And by the time I used all the wood and I was just like, ah, make it hollow and I'll put dominoes in it. That'll hold the whole thing together. So you'll see later on my Instagram. <laughs> but <laughs> so yeah, tomorrow I'll be back on the door.
2: Nice.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's what's going on with me. Very cool. So let's just jump into it. Andy, <laughs> let's, let's let the world know who you are. if They don't already know who you are.
1: <laughs> uh, I'm uh, Andy Burkey. I'm a uh, woodworker and maker in Bloomington, Illinois. Uh, kind of have drifted towards historical restoration work over the past uh, 20 years or so and uh, do a lot of work uh, with the Catholic church uh, build and inspect kind of have a specialty in Gothic woodworking uh, when I do stuff for them.
0: How did you get started in that?
1: In Gothic did woodworking?
0: It, yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. The church stuff. and all that
1: Well, uh, you know, it's weird. Um, historic work has a lot to do with your resume. And, uh, I was fortunate enough to kind of stumble into a situation in, uh, Hampton Roads, Virginia, uh, working on a, a chapel, the chapel under four flags there back in the mid 1990s. And, um, And it it was a great thing to have on my resume because it was uh, a national or a a government funded project, which kind of is, you know, important. And, um, and it just kind of one door opened after another. And um, I got the opportunity to, to uh, take a look at a large church job in the late 90s. And um, I think, you know, pretty much everybody that looked at it didn't want to give it a go. And I was dumb enough to say, heck yeah, I'll try it. And, uh, you know, and then, and then you're, uh, kind of sunk. You either have to learn how to do Gothic woodworking or, or, uh, leave the state. (laughs) Wow. All
0: Mm -hmm. right.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's it's not your typical path. I know that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but it's, it's what makes it so interesting, right? (laughs)
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's very much reactive. I, I wish I could say I had a career path plan that I've executed since I was 18. But, um, you know, I've been all over the hemisphere working and just kind of doing my own thing. and And I really just reacted to what was in front of me. And, you know, as you guys know, once you get into a certain genre, then you become... You know, a guy in that genre, and, um, and I don't know. I really enjoy the the kind of drifting around from one skill to the next, and the and and the one project to the next.
0: So, so do you mainly just work around your area now, or do you travel around?
1: You know, uh, I have done some traveling as of late, but I, I tend to work a little more localized. I I would. Um, I would uh, be open to doing more consulting, uh, on a regional or national level. But as far as, uh, you know, moving the shop around and, um, all that, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of happy, uh, working out of my garage at this point.
0: What else do we want to talk about? Um,
3: I don't know. It's a podcast. We should talk about something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, it'd be pretty Truth. boring. Who
0: wants to listen to some silence?
3: I can do. I can do. Uh, really. I can show you my collection of off scene Italian hand gestures. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We could have
1: a moment of meditation.
3: <laughs> well, I'm kind. Of, I am kind of bummed because I'm. I was reading the structure. Freddie sent and he says he doesn't have a finishing minute. No. I'm just. I'm just beside myself.
0: Well, all right, I'm going to twist this around and I want to hear what Andy does for finishing. Oh. No. O- only because everything you do looks like it's <clears throat> so intricate but is a lot of it painted so you can use fillers and things like that. I'm, I'm just wondering. Yeah.
1: Yep. yep. Actually, that kind of kind of feeds <laughs> into the the uh the theme is, you know, how, how do we make this stuff affordable for churches? And a lot of it does painted finishes because, you know, I can, we can use different uh, fillers and, and, uh, you know, you can get, as we all know, you can get away with a lot more um, speed and, and uh, cheating as it were with a painted finish.
2: Mm-hmm. Now you're going in there with a spray gun. You're going in there with uh with a brush or a roller or all the above or what's going on
1: you know Freddie, it's i i usually just say i i I cheat so i'll do anything to get me out of the situation Mm -hmm. i got myself into um i do uh really Mm -hmm. like an hvlp um of course you got to watch that with the heavier body uh paints and stuff like that but um but yeah i mean i'm not a i'm not a real uh skilled brush guy so i tend to spray um a lot of stuff that i can and then and then you know go in uh, if we gold leaf then of course that that goes in by brush and and then leaf it out so it's it's really uh, people laugh when i say it but i really consider myself to be uh you know professional cheater <laughs> whatever however i can pull it out um to make it affordable Uh, and still give the visual that especially a church project wants and needs what Mm -hmm. that room demands, you know, how do we do that today and make it affordable? So it's not um, just, you know, we wouldn't be working if it's not affordable. Mm -hmm. So what kind
2: of paint do you usually Mm -hmm. use for churches?
1: He's trying to sell you already. (laughs) Oh geez, here we go. Here we go. You know, it really depends on, um, A lot of my decision making on finishes has to do with abrasion um, because some of the pieces say like a a processional cross, you know, you got 12 year old guys slamming that thing around and sweating and (laughs) you know, that's going to take a whole different uh, mindset of finishing in my opinion than something that's 30 feet off the ground. So uh, I, I, Mm-hmm. tend to stay a little situational. And I also depend on, I've worked with some really excellent um, decorative artists in the past too, that, you know, each have their own different, you know, like your friend has uh, something that, you know, he's passionate about and a, a technique and, and product that he's passionate about. And a lot of times if I'm working with one of those guys, I let him have the, the reins and, uh, you know, and then do a lot of testing on it. I want to, if it's something I've never heard of, I want to a couple of test boards and I want to try some abrasion tests. And, um, you know, to me, it's all about that experimentation, which I absolutely love that stuff.
3: One question I do have, do you, do you work alone? Do you have help or do you sub anything out?
1: Uh, that depends on the job. that's a good question. Yeah. It depends on what I'm working on. Um, if it's a little more mundane, I will, um, sub out, uh, painting and things like that. Uh, just because it's not my passion. I don't enjoy it that much. Um, I will do it. And especially on, you know, bigger, uh, pieces, you know, when you just need to have that much control. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, for the most part, I work alone. I used to have six guys, uh, when the shop was at its peak, um, or five in the shop and a a girl that worked with me in the office. Um, But I just found that I completely did not enjoy managing people. And I, all I really wanted to do was make stuff. So um, I'm, I'm kind of, I took a kind of an ego hit when, when I uh, moved from a big shop down to my two car garage, but um, the uh, overhead makes, makes it worthwhile and, And I just like, I like being alone and doing my own thing.
0: I I have to say I was the exact same way. Um, When I used to work with my father doing construction and then he brought me into the office and I just, I hated it. I hated running crews and hated being a babysitter. Just stick me in a corner. Let me do my thing. (laughs) And it is, it's how I'm, I'm happy doing that. I mean, it's, and I don't know if you're like me, but it is interesting. I find even to myself when i do get out on a job site and you get to be around people it's like you just let the the cat out of the cage and it's just like hey, hey talking to everybody and happy as can oh, be yeah. Right? oh yeah
1: <laughs> but yeah the, the weird little freak guy with no hair yeah
0: right? <laughs> <laughs> yep. same thing here oh, i got the yeah. hair but <laughs> you, know, just, you let me out it's like hey what's going on i haven't seen you forever but
1: yeah you're real people. And you say
3: noises with your mouth. <laughs> yeah. Crazy.
0: Yeah. You realize you talk to yourself more often than you thought you did. Oh,
3: yeah. I, I find them a lot chattier now than I used to be. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, Self abuse, you know, cursing at myself is uh, kind of an art form <laughs> I, I uh, have uh, taken to. I had a guy complain on a job site one time that I, uh, why did I have to be so, uh, You know, abusive. And (laughs) my my brother in law that was working with me at the time turned to the guy and he said, "You (laughs) think that's bad? You should hear what he calls himself."
0: (laughs) So, did did you? What did you do before the church stuff?
1: Uh, You know, I came into this kind of sounds like the same way you did. In you know, 1983, I, I got a job with a construction crew. And, um, cause I wanted to be kind of a, you know, I, i thought those guys were the, the baddest dudes on the block. So I wanted to be one of them and, uh, and it was cool because I got a real good background. Uh, the, the crew that I was on, um, we did everything from footings to cabinets
3: mm-hmm.
1: and it was just a super background, um, for I think four or five years um, which kind of set, set the stage because my boss, um, there, he used to say that there was, he only wanted to hear one thing from the one complaint from the client. And that was that it was expensive, not that there was anything wrong with it. So that kind of, you know, especially as a younger guy, you get that ingrained in you early. It, it goes nowhere, but good places. Gotcha.
0: Eighty three, man. I was born in eighty one. <laughs> <He was learning. laughs> although, oh, yeah. although I worked for my dad, so probably eighty four. I was working too. So, <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. <But. laughs>
1: Start sweeping the shop, yeah. learning how to uh, wax a tabletop.
0: Yep. Yeah, got my first hammer when I was five. So
3: I remember eighty three. It sounds like we we're probably around the same age, Uh-oh. Andy. So, yeah, yeah. Well, the the, the yep. early eighties were good
2: years. So what, what do you like to do the most in your work? Do you like to just, there, there's everything that you enjoy or do you things that you particularly were good at that you prefer doing?
1: You know, I really enjoy the design b- build process uh, f- for church furniture because, um, you know, there's just an amazing amount of um, juggling that has to be done between the politics of the church The, you know, dealing with the designer, if there is one, or if I'm self-designing, you know, the liturgical demands, how it's going to be used. And, uh, you know, there are certain limits on where I can take a design because of what the church wants. And, you know, it's just a lot of, to me, design parameters make it more difficult, but also really a lot more interesting and fun. So to me, that's that's where it's really all about. And I have to say, selfishly, if you're at a uh, rededication ceremony for an altar that you built, um, and the bishop mm-hmm. has to, you know, like anoint it with holy oil, it, it's uh, it's a skin crawly uh, thing, man. I will tell you <laughs> what, it, it'll bring tears to your eyes because hmm. all of a sudden it goes from something that you. You know, have had birthing pains with and probably mm-hmm. lived with for two or three months. And it goes from something you made to something that has purpose and, it, you know, and it's holy now, it, which is, mm-hmm. I'm not a Catholic and I'm not involved in that. However, when somebody takes a piece of your work and deems it good enough to be that, mm-hmm. ha- have a place of that amount of honor. It really gives you the, gives you the goosebumps. It's, it's,
3: yeah, it's, a, it's like a transformation.
1: Yeah. Right before your eyes. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
3: It's pretty cool.
2: So when it comes to churches, what, what do you usually do? Are you doing mainly interiors or yeah? are you doing exterior? Okay. Right
1: now I'm, I'm, I, I do very little exterior work. Um, I do some restoration type stuff, uh, the national park service has the process of, um, uh, consolidating epoxies, real low viscosity epoxies that, um, I don't know, Freddie, you're probably familiar with that, uh, process, but, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I get calls still to do that, um, porch columns and structural things, you know, like that, but anymore, I'm kind of trying to meter my physical demands to, uh, so that I can stay in the shop, you know, another 30 years. Mm -hmm. Hmm. so so yeah mainly i'm i'm doing interior stuff now is
3: it it mostly furniture pieces or is it architectural work a little bit of both
1: uh probably probably 50 50 Mm -hmm. at this point um yeah like i say it's i i see it sliding more towards shop work which would which would be furniture or you know uh architectural pieces that are shop made and then delivered and and you know carpenter crew take them from there
0: Hmm. Mm. two two things one is you brought up and i never really thought about it dealing with the church you're usually dealing with uh i don't want to say a figurehead there's somebody in charge but then they have to answer to a group of people which i've done that before and that's that's really tough so does that make things take a long time decisions to be made and things for you
1: yeah, it can. It can. Yeah, definitely. Um, it depends because you've got multiple layers of authority, you know. Right. And uh, so you usually are working with the restoration committee and a priest and they get all amped up about, you know, where things are going. Mm-hmm. And then they take it to the diocese and somebody at the diocese, you know, has a half a dozen things that they absolutely don't like. So then you're, you go back and forth, but you know what, it's part of the game. And, mm-hmm. and, um, some of that I do on a consulting basis until there's contracts signed, you know, I, I represent myself as, as a consultant mm-hmm. for the church okay. because you, you can never tell, you know, sometimes, uh, they'll go through and, and just say, you know, I've had priests call me and say, M- make me a baptismal font and mm. show me, I guess give me a rough sketch of what you're thinking before you build it Mm -hmm. all the way, all the way to, uh, I've I have prints that I've had for four years that have been going back and forth. Okay. Literally four years. Wow. So.
3: Yeah, I've, I've, I've been there. We used to do a lot of work with churches and it it really depends on when that committee meets and then it's got to go to a different committee and it can go mm -hmm. back and forth for a long time.
1: Right. And the thing I've learned is I have to stay clear of their politics. Yeah. So the only thing I usually ask is to have one person who has a decision making capacity to communicate to me.
0: That's good. Yeah.
1: I mean, I'll go in and, and give them everything I can to help them. But at some point, I need one person to tell me yay or nay. Or Other than that, you get people lobbying you for their, their side of things and it gets messy.
0: That that sounds like that was a hard lesson learned.
1: You got
2: that, <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah.
0: So what else? What else? What else? Um,
2: um, are the time t- is there a, huge time restraints on these uh, interiors, or is it pretty easy going, kind of transitioning of of scheduling?
1: No, uh, you're, that's a that's a pretty astute question, Freddie, because typically there's either a, you know, a holy day or um, a rededication. Like I've worked on a a St. Patrick's church where they, they are having, I knew 18 months ahead of it, but they were having the rededication on St. Patrick's day, period. You know, here's the year, here's the day that has to be done. So, and that's, that's pretty typical. Once you get through it, uh, you know, it's it's up to me to kind of make sure that there's enough room in there, um, more than enough room because I also pad it with some squishy time because there's always going to be changes and all that yeah. kind of thing. So, but yeah, definitely, very typically, it's it's a it's a hard deadline.
2: Mm-hmm. Now, when you do the interiors, is it just mainly you or? Are you GCing it with a few people?
1: Yeah. Typically, like if we're doing a full on uh, interior, uh, typically there, there will be an architect involved and mm-hmm. um, I will ha- handle the site supervision as well as okay. the furnishings. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it really, again, depends because it can be, you know, I was at uh, one church for two and a half years full time. Wow. And that was overseeing, you know, a complete, um, the vault, we call it the ceiling, um, you know, stencils and, and, uh, gold leafing and, you know, all sorts of crazy stuff. You know, it took, it took, uh, a week and a half to build the scaffolding in half of it. Wow. You know, so, so, you know, it gets pretty complex and what I, I try to avoid that now because, Trying to do that and have your head inside a twenty-nine foot tall piece of furniture at the same time is—I uh, think it made me four or five years older than I should have been. So, hmm. so I like to say I build two and a half ton furniture. <laughs> 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 I
0: here, here's something slightly off, and I this is me looking at your Instagram. oh boy here we go you're uh it's it's not that far off but this shaper router i gotta ask about this thing okay what (laughs) let's hear about this because it it does look really neat i've seen it do some neat things but it's all through videos you're using the thing first off wait are they sponsoring you i guess they do right there's some little connection with them
1: uh i do have a connection with them in that uh i did do Uh, Some user interface testing. I got a pre-release model that I had for four or five months. Mm -hmm. And um, I did, basically, I turned on a video camera and, um, you know, all the engineers uh, virtually stood at the monkey cage at the zoo and watched me poke around on it. Um, (laughs) There wasn't a lot of um, manual or, or they just basically said, you know, go break the user interface. Okay. So I'm not a big computer guy by any means, definitely not a 3D uh, or, you know, a design software guy, but um, they have made a platform. I think the big thing for me was the change in thinking from uh, a tool we use, like, let's just say a router, because this thing is a a router on steroids,
3: Mm
1: -hmm. uh, has a Festool spindle that's just a little beast. But to to go from thinking of that as a tool, and now I have to think of this thing as a platform. So uh, it can do, I mean, the amazing thing was I just had to do a bunch of plyometric boards for a baseball um, facility. And just to be able to route in um, 36 three and a half by three inch mortises perfect in, in really like four or five hours. It was, you know, it kind of half pace for itself, you know, in, in a very short order.
3: Nice.
1: Um, And that was a simple thing just with the onboard um, tooling tools that they have in the software. Um, Not to mention the fact that, um, you know, I can via Wi-Fi download plans and and uh, sketch them out anywhere from uh, jewelry size to uh, half a football field size, hmm. which is the big advantage of the Shaper Origin is a CNC machine, but it's freed from the four by eight or the four by four bed that you typically see on, on, uh, cnc
3: machines yeah i've seen a demo before at festal connect and uh right. it's 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 pretty interesting i didn't get a chance to get hands on it because there was a line of you know that's what everybody was there for right i think that was two years ago yeah and uh, i think i was at that one actually i, I, I probably missed that. you there was too much activity at that booth i just walked by i, I saw a right. couple guys doing it that was about <laughs> it um but uh, it looks like a really neat concept. I'm still confused about how that tape works with the, it's almost like a barcode well, the, kind of thing going
1: on. Yeah, kind of. Uh, but that's how, uh, you know, a regular X and Y axis uh, CNC knows the bed it's on. It knows where it can go and where it can't go. The shaper tape basically makes any surface, that you're working on a, a, a virtual bed of a CNC machine. So that's how it knows where it is in the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's ingenious. These dudes, if I learned anything, I mean, the reason they had me involved in the UI testing was that I'm, you know, an old woodworker guy. These guys are MIT electrical engineers and software guys. And um they, they have done some pretty crazy stuff, and they're. Since I've had mine, which I believe is since February or March, um, they have done three major software updates. Each one that that really improves uh, the platform significantly. So, you know, it's just one of those ones where you're kind of can't wait for what they come up with next awesome but you know the thing that i dig about it guys is there's still tactile involvement from the woodworker yeah um and for me it's all about uh doing that to get close to you know just in those scallops that you just cut with the bandsaw and then and then came in and and cleaned them up Mm -hmm. um yeah, this thing can do that, but it also gives me an opportunity to go into something like a mortise and sharpen the edges with a with a, with a chisel and make it nearly indistinguishable from one that I cut out with, you know, a, a saw and then you know, and then templated it and you know, so it's just taking kind of I'm using it a lot as uh I used to use templates.
0: Okay. Yeah, that's that's what I've noticed. It's very useful for where you just load on right. there and it seems to be doing, and I can't say where I just saw it, but I saw somebody cut a, uh, what was it? It was, it was basically like a gear with it. Right. And I was just amazed yes. it, it worked perfectly. <laughs> mm-hmm. right? It's just like you're saying, it's all freehand for the most part. And it just, yeah, it's interesting. It,
1: well, just to kind of demonstrate, I mean, it was kind of a silly thing to do, but, uh, just to demonstrate how weird it is. Um, I did a video last spring where I took it upside down, laid on scaffolding on my back and, and cut my logo into the ceiling of my shop. Just to, just to show that, you know, this thing, it'll create that logo, any size you want. Anything can be resized on the fly on the tool and then do it to do it upside down. Hmm. So it was and again, it was kind of a silly thing to do, but um, it but, was fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, CNC Michelangelo.
0: Will, will it do different depths? Like almost three-dimensionalize something?
1: Uh, it's it's doesn't have... Ah, now you're going to see, now you're pushing my knowledge, but uh, it doesn't have an active Z-axis, I think it is. So basically you set one depth and you can make a cut. Set another depth and you can make a cut. It won't do like, uh, you know, carving. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yet. Yeah. It uh, wouldn't surprise me if these guys come up with it. Right. Interesting. That's great.
0: I just had to, I've had to ask. I've seen a thing around through the internet and I was just curious. A little off topic, but.
1: See, I, you know, but it is on topic because I don't know. I mean, to me, I'm not, uh, like a full bore. I'm going to sell all my stuff and buy a CNC machine. But on the other hand, I'm not, I only use hand tools to me. You live, thrive and survive in that hybrid type of area where you can take that, where it's very efficient and then, and then still do your handwork and, and you know, the highly skilled stuff and, and clean it up and make it look, you know, The thing that I don't like is rounded corners and things like that, that you, one of us who knows what they're looking for can definitely tell if something is made on a, on a standard CNC.
0: Right. And and Um, I I think one of the other perfect things about it is if it's in a shop like yours or mine or something where there isn't exactly the room for that big CNC, right? This
1: precisely. Yeah.
0: It'll do anything that you need to do on the big one, but basically in a handheld version of it.
1: Yeah. It's, I've done a couple of presentations with it and, you know, they're always kind of weirded out when you walk in with a little suitcase and you say, Hey, I brought my CNC to show you. And, and they, you know, all the guys are like, what
3: does it do 3d or is it strictly 2d?
1: I think they call it 2d plus or something <laughs> like that. So basically, basically, no, it won't do undercuts and that type of thing. It needs, it needs a flat surface to index
2: off of. Interesting.
1: But it's been fun to be involved with because, you know, being an older school guy, you know, uh, you know, you've got one of the leading technologies in, in woodworking in your hands, you know, four or five months ahead of everybody else. And, and, you know, Basically, you're making videos that engineers are laughing at you while they're eating their lunch, and
0: uh, <laughs> it's pretty fun. Were, were you able to get to do anything? that, uh, Were you able to stump the thing? Basically, what the what you wanted, they wanted you to do with it.
1: Uh, mm, th- well, there is a few things that I basically said I, I don't know how to do what I want to do. Okay, which is which? That's kind of breaking the the interface in that to them it was perfectly clear and, and obvious what I should do. Um, but I can't find that button doesn't, um, make sense to me to push. Okay. You know what I mean? Right. That touch or the touch screen. So it's, um, I think that's, was my contribution, you know, of, of them going, oh, okay. We need to clean that up a little bit and make that, you know, more self-explanatory.
0: Do do you know how many other people they gave it to the test?
1: I think, I know there was one or two out. I think I had it for the longest because I was the furthest away and I kind of ignored their (laughs) questions to get it back. (laughs) So at one point they finally were like, dude, um, we're sending you a box. You need to send it to Festool (laughs) because we're over there. Oh no, it was at Mark Adams. They were doing a a uh, presentation at Mark Adams school of woodworking. And they said, here, just send it here. <laughs> like, okay, fine. So I probably had it a couple, three months longer than I, than they planned and longer than everybody else did.
2: Gotcha.
0: So you, you do have one right now though. They said, yes, I do have one. Yeah. Okay.
1: Um, it was crazy. Two years ago, um, some guys in the maker community uh, when I was on vacation st- did a GoFundMe when it was still in, uh, you know, pre-release, and um, they all got together and and basically they said they wanted to see what I would do with it, so huh. they all jumped in and and uh, it was uh, one of the most humbling. Um, I don't even know how to describe it. It it was you know just the most generous thing, and um, so you know you try to you try to keep going and, and make it worth their while.
0: It kind of makes me, it, it makes me think about how this, how social media has helped this group so much. I think oh, it's, it's pretty amazing.
1: I could not agree more. I like to say that the best makers and woodworkers that are walking the planet, you've never heard of, you know, they're cause they're too busy uh, making really cool stuff in their, in their shops. Mm-hmm. But, but the simple fact of the matter, just the transfer of information, like guy was saying, you know, that he'd never seen that half lap done that way. Well, instantly, instead of waiting for that information to go to, you know, somewhere where maybe we would see it. Now it's the second you put it on a social media platform, it, Everybody says, oh, why didn't I think of that before? Mm -hmm. So so it almost feels like we've got this critical mass going where um, all of our learning curves are going through the roof. Mm
0: -hmm. You guys feel like that way? Yeah, no, there there isn't a day that I usually don't see something on Instagram that just blows my mind. Like, why didn't I ever think of that? Or it's holy cow, you could do this that way or something, right? It's just and it's 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 showing you that. As much as we'd like to think we're the, we sit in our own little corner, we're the best in the world because people aren't thinking of things. You see other people thinking things that just blow your mind. And it is, I mean, I, True. there's a lot of things I've done. And I thought, man, that's pretty good. And then I go see somebody else and the levels just raise that much higher. And I'm like, <laughs> wow. <laughs> right. It's, it it, it's the awareness. That's what it is. Yeah.
1: And it, and it also, it also feeds a serious imposter syndrome to me. I, I mean, I'm in totally intimidated by you guys.
0: <laughs>
1: it's, it's just, you know, Freddie and I have been going back and forth for what Freddie, probably two years least, or yeah. so. And, you know, it's just, uh, I don't know. It's, it's, well, here's the deal. As an older guy, you know, I'm, I think 56 now. It's so cool to see. I used to be in that curmudgeony mode of, Oh, after my generation's gone, you know, there this all this knowledge is going to be lost. And uh, <laughs> and now, you know, after you jump both feet into, instead of whining about it, of making sure that doesn't happen, then all of a sudden you realize that the craft is going to be just fine when I'm no longer involved. It, it'll be just fine.
0: And it may just be fine because... Cause it took something like, like these platforms to do that, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, mean, there's the, I don't know the, the, I don't know. It it does seem to be a resurgence of it coming back and maybe that's just the world we're in that we're seeing a little resurgence, but I, this is definitely helping it for what I see. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I would say that probably 60% of the shops business uh has some element of social media. Um social media is involved in it in some uh way. Uh people have seen something and they want something similar. Um I just had a designer get a hold of me, um liturgical furnishings designer, that he had seen some pictures, you know, on Pinterest or something. And it, it's you know, I, I've walked into retail um what do you call homes? What, uh, not commercial, but residential mm-hmm. um, where, you know, you start to introduce yourself and, and he just flat up held his hand up and he said, I've stalked you online. I, I know, mm-hmm. I know that you can do this, you know, so it, it is, it's, it's a great thing for businesses. And I think it's just a great thing for the craft. Uh, and, you know, we have to be willing to accept different forms of the craft, you know, the CNC argument, you know, all that stuff. Um, but I think as long as people are c- becoming in contact with wood and in different materials, it's it, how can that possibly be bad? Yeah. Yeah.
2: When it comes to this supposed community that you see out there, uh, you feel that you you see good things coming from it or you think there's still a lot of work that's still needed ahead?
1: Well, I think I, instead of viewing it as work, I see it as an evolution. Uh, um, It's kind of like there's a lot of uh, really cool things that are, that are, have happened as a result of the more rapid exchange of information and i think but i think there's a lot of evolution that that's got to come i think it's exciting as i'll get out to see where traditional craft how traditional craft deals with you know this new paradigm of mm-hmm. both information and and really creative minds that wouldn't typically have been drawn yeah. to a craft you know the the guys that are software developers all day long and they're so hungry to get their hands on something tactile. And, and I mean, they're brilliant. I mean, they are absolutely doing brilliant work and, you know, but they probably would never have just come into the craft as a full-time occupation. You know what I mean? Yep.
2: Yep.
1: And those dudes are crushing it, man. I mean, uh, Keith Johnson out there uh, yeah. near you, Freddie. Um, holy man, you know, and I shouldn't even start to name names, but these guys, you know, I I always tell guys, don't be so anxious to get into the craft as, as a way of feeding your family, because there's a lot of things that mm-hmm. you can do that I can't. Yeah. Just for the love of it. Mm-hmm. Because I got to worry about you know, feeding, putting rent, uh, you know, on the table. No, like food on the table and rent. <laughs> we know what you mean. Yeah, there you go. But yeah, I mean, you know, there's a lot of things that, you know, some days we make art and some days we make rent. So.
0: Yeah, I, I make lots of rent.
1: <laughs> exactly. I, I do too. I really do. But hey,
0: it's, yeah, you, you need to. And I, uh, I don't know. It is what it is, right? But.
1: Well, yeah. And I think that the thing that we can't denigrate is that when we make rent, we're still honing our own craft uh, that problem solving, mm-hmm. you know, our, our hand skills, we're, that's still all just like hyper involved so that, you know, when it, when it is time to make art, then, then we have, uh, you know, a catalog of experience yeah. and, and skills to work off of.
0: Yeah.
2: When you're on site most of the time, is there a particular time frame that you have to work or you can make up your own hours? I pretty much make up my own hours. I I try
1: to avoid people. So if I have the keys, um, I typically will be there very, very early and try to check out about noon, you know, before guys get weird in the afternoon. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. That comes from from, uh, spending, you know, six years on job sites in the Caribbean. You you just nothing got done after lunch. (laughs) So, you know, get there, get there early. And um, Mm -hmm. but it's it really depends on what I'm working on. And uh, a lot of times I've had to work late in the day so I could go to a meeting at the church, you know, a a committee meeting before going home, you know, Mm -hmm. so yeah, it's all over the park. Now,
2: now you work for the uh, National Park Service. You mentioned earlier, is there a process for you to get into all that?
1: Um, actually, I didn't work for the. I was working for a okay. contractor under National Park okay. Service guidelines. So I've never worked for the Park Service, but mm-hmm. um, but no, it, it's it's just a matter of of getting. The hardest part is getting that first credential, you know, mm. and I, I just yep. really uh backed into it um but once i figured out um how important that credentialing was then i uh did a lot of uh schooling under the uh national trust for historic preservation which kind of again just sort of flushes out your your resume and um i got you so then you know then your resume becomes this thing where if people are applying for grant money from uh, in Illinois, it's the uh, IHPA, the Illinois Historic Preservation Society or Association or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. But they can they can take your resume to the Capitol then and go, look, we've got this guy working on our project, on our historic project, and that gives them some you know some traction with. Mm-hmm with the people that are making the decision on their, on their grants and things like that. So it's kind of a circular thing that happens round and round.
2: Yeah, I got you.
1: So it's the hardest part is getting in, you know, getting that first um, credential.
0: I've, I've, I've done work with the school board around here and it was the same way. Once I got my foot in the door now, I'm on their list of people they'll call and at least ask, yep. which is yep. the thing that you really want. Just be asked the question and then,
1: yep. be um, part of the conversation. Right.
0: Yep. Yep.
2: Now you're obviously doing YouTube. Um, is that it's something that you enjoy doing or is that something that you just do it for fun or combination? Obviously are you planning to do longer videos or are you keeping it somewhere where you're at now?
1: Oh boy. I, I, you know, I've been all over the park on that. Freddie, mm-hmm. it's, it's uh, my main problem is I can't shoot YouTube videos when I'm doing client work because it just adds thirty to fifty percent of time. Yeah, and I just can't do it. It's just not fair to to people, you know. So uh, mainly, I've kind of gotten over the thing that that it would be really cool to have YouTube, you know, replace twenty percent of my income, so that uh, you know, I could spend one day a a week doing videos. I would thoroughly Mm -hmm. enjoy that, but I'm not sure that that's really, uh, what's going to happen for me. Um, but I, I do, you know, when I get a weird idea, usually an off, (laughs) you know, I'm, I'm doing one right now where, uh, I apply hot glue in my, I bought this cool van that has an inverter in it. Right. So I, uh, this did,
0: is... did you buy the van because it had the inverter?
1: Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> I totally did. <laughs> and so I take a hot glue gun out onto the street and uh, pour a bunch of hot glue on uh, some words that were on this sewer grate. And, mm-hmm. and then I print some T-shirts off of the cold hot glue back huh. at the shop. So it's kind of like the, the weird, stupid art stuff I like. Uh, that's kind of yep. going to be the, the YouTube stuff.
2: <laughs> <Okay>.
1: <laughs> so you did, guys didn't think we were going there, did you?
0: No, no. I knew we were because I saw the green screen stuff you put up. <laughs> <laughs> there you go.
1: <laughs> so. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm fascinated with that kind of eh, – you know what? I'm fascinated with learning.
3: Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, if, nice. if,
1: it, if I don't know anything about it, I just bought a Bernina sewing machine. So I'm going to learn sewing from some uh, ladies at, uh, I call them my sewing crew. Um, <laughs> these these uh, elderly ladies at this sewing shop near me, I, I, I got a class I'm starting November 3rd that I'm all amped up about because I take my uh, sewing machine into, the, <laughs> into my crew and they're going to show me how to use it. So now there's
0: going nice. to be a Berkey sweatshop.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs>
2: you're cracking
0: crack your whip at him.
2: <laughs> so yeah. faster. Go, go. <laughs> now, do um, you have any kids or anything that you're getting personal?
1: No, I don't. Um, mm-hmm. We we kind of – we were out of the country working for quite a while right after we got married, and, and um, it just wasn't um, – Situationally it wasn't a priority for us. So, Mm -hmm. by the time we we just kind of, it didn't was one of those things we didn't feel like we had to do, and we just never got around to doing it. (laughs) So we're but dogs, you know. Mm Mm-hmm. Totally. Definitely dogs.
0: So, so you've made a couple mentions. You've been here. You've been there. Where Where have you been? And how did you end up where you are now?
1: Uh, I apprenticed and, and got into, um, I grew up and got into the business out near Seattle, out in the mountains, uh, between Seattle and Mount Rainier. And, um, I kind of, I was trying to be a semi pro soccer player and blew up my shoulder. Um, and I kind of weirded out and left Seattle with, a one-way ticket to Miami and 1,500 bucks. And uh, I ended up in the Caribbean, uh, St. Thomas and uh, St. John in the Virgin Islands. Um, And uh, ended up working there for about six years total. Um, I met my wife um, on a trip back. Uh, I was at a cousin's wedding here in Illinois and uh, my wife fitted me for my tuxedo at the wedding (laughs) she was at the tuxedo shop and uh and then she ended up uh eventually coming back to uh, the virgin islands with me and and uh so we had a great run down there but it was when uh, they say when you know it it, when it's time to go you know it so uh, Mm
3: -hmm.
1: and that is actually how i ended up uh when i got back to this i was looking for a re-entry into the states Mm -hmm. and that's how we ended up at hampton roads um and the the kismet there just sort of happened. So, so then we we decided to to uh, move here so my wife could finish her degree and and uh, just kept going.
2: Okay, that's awesome. It's weird.
1: I know. No, it's weird.
0: Hey, <laughs> no not at all. It, it's it, I don't know. You look back. It's it takes all those things to put you to a point where you're at now, right? But
1: yeah, know. that's the whole thing. You know, one thing leads to another, and and it's for me it's completely unplanned but also you couldn't if you would have tried you would have had a hard time scripting you know the, the luck and the just the cool adventures that being in the craft has afforded me you know I've worked all over the place and um, from Haiti to virgin islands to west coast to east coast to the midwest and and I just wouldn't change a thing. And I I don't know a lot of situations that you could, um, you know, be so lucky to to work everywhere and work with different people. I mean, the East Coast guys think differently than the West Coast guys. um, Not think, but there's just different little nuances of the craft that are different, you know, and are Mm -hmm. emphasized. So every time you, you work in a new place or with, with new guys, uh, you know, it's, it's always healthy for you. Yeah.
2: Yeah. That's great stuff. So I've noticed that you've traveled all the way to uh, New York and done all these little hangouts with these people. You find those events very inspiring. Like you go to Jimmy Duresta's for example.
1: Definitely. Um, Yeah. I, I get uh, kind of, you know, religious people go on uh, retreats. Or uh, something, or, uh, you know, I don't know. I guess uh, foodies, you know, do retreats to Paris or something. It, it's to me, it's really healthy to get out of your own zone mm-hmm. and be around uh, people that may not do the exact same thing as you do, but that's the beauty of it because our headspace and our demands that we m- make of ourselves you know, and, and our short attention span to be around people that are kind of pretty much like you,
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: you know, I've always said, I always felt like I was that weird little kid in the back of art class that no one really hung out with. And now as a result of going to, uh, those kind of meetups, you realize that the back row art class is huge. Okay. And yeah, there's a lot of little weird kids back there, like you guys,
3: mm-hmm.
0: right? Yeah, no, you're you're right. I totally agree. <laughs> I will
2: tell you, you what, it right? was a
1: headspace turner for me. I mean, to go, wow, there are weird people out there.
2: Mm-hmm. Totally weird people and... out there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Truth no one or two. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: <laughs>
1: you know, I mean, the thing is, is you know, here we are from all sections of the country vibing off what each other is saying you know because we know we know the headspace yeah which is
2: cool so what what's your outlook for the next several years what's what's the goals any plans uh what what do you want to do man man that is a good question um i
1: really want to do this uh project that i i can't talk about unfortunately
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Project> <laughs> uh, that how,
1: yeah there there is uh, it's a demanding thing and it's it's uh, working with some high profile people mm-hmm. and uh, so that's kind of the the big goal for now and um, you know i i, I want to i don't i don't want to teach but i want to encourage and um, do things like uh Justin Dietrich, a maker and woodworker near me here, is a shop teacher Mm -hmm. at a middle school. And uh, here in two weeks or three weeks, I'm going down for the day and just doing presentations to his shop classes. Nice. And just kind of encouraging those kids that, look, you know, I think a lot of kids are conditioned to the fact that, you know, if you aren't very good at college, then you have to go get a blue collar job. And what I really want to preach, if I preach anything at all in the world is, hey, you know what? There's there is a lot of really cool opportunity and selfishly who gets to make a living using their imagination and, and honing a craft. And, you know, I'm, I just feel like the older I get, the more I look back on my life and just go, man, I am so fortunate that the craft found me Okay, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I definitely didn't find the craft. But it found me and probably saved my sanity. So I probably would end up on the wall of a post office somewhere. (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) But you know what I'm saying? That kind of switching the the mode of the conversation from, yeah, you know, if you can't make a lot of money, then you could always go and do this mm -hmm. instead of going – look, this is a really cool way to be creative and happy and really have live a really cool life.
0: I, I've, I've said to these guys before, but, uh, where I grew up, my neighbors, my father's neighbors, uh, their kids were academics and everything. And all through school, they did really well. Then I went to, I think a couple of went to Ivy League schools and everything. And then a couple of years ago, she called me up to come over and do something. Right. Mm -hmm. And she said to me, the mother, she says, it's amazing what you're doing. She goes, you're doing the right thing. She goes, here we were. I, I, she never, she didn't say that she looked down on my parents or anything for not sending us to college or forcing us to go to college Mm -hmm. or do all that. But she says, you're doing what you want. And she says, we sent these kids and told them, go to school, do all this. And here they are having trouble finding jobs and you're making work, right? It's, yeah, it she goes, it's, it, it's, you didn't do anything wrong with your life. There's nothing wrong with the fact that if you want to be a dump truck driver, go be it. You're going to make a really good living still doing that as well. It, whereas I had, I have a kid who's in debt, who's trying to find a job to make a good living. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's, it, there's another way around it. And I don't think I, I'm not. Look, I just had a child. Am I going to force them to go to college? No, but if they want to go to college, I'm going to support that 100%, but I don't know that it's it's needed. And that's who's to say that in 20 years, it's a totally different thing. But, right, right. right,
3: right. In the last, in the last <laughs> maybe 20 years, there's been a very large push in our culture to, put, to mm-hmm. make sure you go to college and do all that. Now, when Andy and I were youngsters, there was not that big push. Right, there was still right. a lot
0: of no, you, you were privileged, no. right?
3: There, like there was, there, <laughs>
2: well, no, no. There was I, still, I mean, to go to there college, a lot of vocational was...
3: schools around, and actually, mm-hmm. you could go to vocational school instead of regular high school if you wanted to. All those places are long mm-hmm. gone. You know, mm-hmm. the, the, my kids. You know, were all taught. You know, college, 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 and that's college, college, the, the, college, the, the, college. Yeah. That's, that's, that's where it's at. You have to go, if you're going to make money and you want a place in society, you have to go to college in the last 20 years, that's been drilled into kids' heads. Uh, Mm -hmm. And that's why we have, you know, millennials now, but, um, but that's why there's a lot of those kids out there that they get out of college. they can't find, they can't find work because the market's just flooded. Um, I used to get people coming to me for work. And, you know, they had, you know, master's in business degrees. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, you want to come work for me for, you know, 15 bucks an hour. Yep. Why? Because I can't find work. I'm, you know, a a business degree is the dime a dozen now. So Mm -hmm. whatever that's worth. But yeah, that's, there is a, a... a big space to be filled for the 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 trades and i think a lot of people a lot of kids should start looking at that again and i think it's coming back around i do too which is good
1: i tell you it
0: it, it has to come back around until we have robots in a way right to for an extent but it, it has to
1: to put it in a story i i was doing some work for a vice president of a large bank i was working on his place in the caribbean And he's sitting by the pool and he says, Andy, let me talk to you for a second. What's going on, Phil? He says, I just want to make sure that you don't ever let anybody look down on you for what you do. Because I'm here to tell you, when the apocalypse happens, guys like you will be eating bank vice presidents for lunch. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I thought that was kind of a cool... Especially, you know, when I heard it from him, you know, in my early thirties, it was, it was really a cool thing for him to, to, you know, reinforce in my mind of, you know, I don't need to kowtow to anybody because, you know, we've got skills and we mm-hmm. always will have yeah. skills.
0: Mm-hmm. What's that saying? Everybody thinks the lawyers run the world, but really it's mm-hmm. the plumbers. <laughs>
1: yeah. No kidding. It's the truth. Right. <laughs> yeah. But- it's exactly right.
2: So let me ask you this, are you a hand tool or power tool guy?
1: Whatever whatever works. You know what I'm what I'm really digging though is um, I would say that I'm I'm that guy that will typically reach for a power tool uh, to get things down to a certain place and then and then I'm all nice. chisels and hand planes. You know, I mean it's to me it's that I mean, I'd like to, have you guys, yes. do you guys know James, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, James doesn't have a, I don't think he has a cord in his shot. Um, you know, I, I mm-hmm. dig that so much. It's not my world as, as the, you know, CNC guys, that's not my world either. I'm, I'm that sort of mix of the two that I'm going to use anything at my disposal. But when it comes down to the fit and finish, I then I get really finicky.
2: Nice, and that's great.
0: I think all four of us fall into that, and that's what gives us our niche in the world. In right. a way,
1: well, I think we have to. I mean, the market—you know—I know the market's not going to allow for a whole bunch of um, handwork. I mean, yep, we have to bastardize it, or wh- however you say it. You know, we got to do. Uh, the rough work as quickly as humanly possible so that we can do the hand work that mm-hmm. has to be done at the back end. Right.
2: Totally. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we have to move mm-hmm. on cause it's getting long. It's been very informative. Oh, geez. Time flies when you're having fun. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've been talking like a madman.
0: No, it's, it's absolutely fine. Mm-hmm. It's
2: either you or Freddie. So I'd
0: rather hear it. Listen to you now. <laughs>
2: So, you know, the, the thing with, with all this is that you can never get an, enough people to share their, you know, their background and, and try to inspire other people and get a better understanding of them. And our goal, at least my goal, is just to have the person who is our guest just to ramble on and so that we can figure out who they are, what makes them who they are, what makes them tick. You know, if you like to wake up early as hell in the morning to see the sunrise or eat, oh, yeah. a, or eat a pound of bacon, you know, that's perfectly fine. Um, you know, so Don't forget the tacos, tacos, Freddie, the tacos. Yeah. You know, I can never get enough tacos. No. So, yeah. you know, I find that all very interesting because it, we, I feel like I Instagram, everyone shows what they want to show. Right. And getting more in depth with someone, you know, on a podcast, it feels like you get a better understanding who they are, see their, you know, their personality and how passionate they are by certain aspects of their life. And it's, it's really interesting to see what their background is and what they do for fun or what they enjoy doing for work. So, you know, that's kind of my goal of, of all this is to just sit back, relax. I probably could have talked more, but I was just soaking it all in and really trying to just enjoy it.
1: <laughs> well, mm-hmm. it's funny because people, especially when you do church stuff, mm-hmm. people kind of want this romantic um, concept of, you know, the lone craftsperson toiling away hour by hour in the quiet of the afternoon sun. <laughs> Listen, my shop, it's its so frenetically bizarre that at any given day, there could be uh, opera, um, the clash, um, there could be anything going on absolutely full volume <laughs> and, you know, throwing stuff or it could be, you know, sitting in the sun, you know, doing the craft thing. <clears throat> so it's, it's always interesting to see like when people come to the shop and it's, it's not this uh, Zen moment, you know, there's plenty of Zen moments, but, um, but there's also the times when uh, we've, we've got some social distortion playing pretty loud. also. <laughs>
2: That's
0: funny. i don't see anything wrong with any of that Nope.
2: nope. <laughs> Big so who who are you crushing on uh, on instagram lately like who you find that just sparking your interest like you wouldn't believe oh you
1: know who i'm fascinated with her work is uh jenny bauer she does mm-hmm. uh carving yes. uh metal engraving i i just she's just the nicest person in the world um had the chance to chat with her a couple of times uh, message back and forth and and the uh her husband hand makes clocks from you know like sheets of brass and things yeah it's just to me that is just uh some astounding astounding stuff
3: uh, yeah it is
1: i mean yeah. it's not woodworking at all but uh,
0: doesn't need to be. Her, her work is yeah, gorgeous. it's crazy. That you it's just
1: crazy. And, and she's, and, you know, she's kind of like I am in that she's very eclectic, you know, she's wicked into, you know, race cars and cooking. And, you know, she's all over the map like I am, but when it comes time to get down and do her craft, she's just, uh, I would, I would put her in the master category. She'd probably hate me for saying that. <laughs> Gotcha. How do you guys? I got a question for you. How do you guys? If somebody calls you master craftsman, what do you say? Apprentice.
0: Who? You talking to me?
1: Ollie is. <laughs> they are not talking to me. Well, that's yeah. basically my response. <laughs> um,
2: there, I, I would say for me personally that um, I'm just a journeyman. Uh, I I don't personally enjoy the term master, mm-hmm. and I feel I feel that. You know, the term master comes when other masters give you the nod to say you now can call yourself a master. And you know, maybe you know, if I want to be confident in my skills, I, I got the vowels of master, but mm-hmm. I haven't even got the letter M to even consider. Mm-hmm. You know, so like that's where that's where I am. And I probably will never be a master of anything, and I'm okay with that. Um, but the term is should not be used loosely as it is in my personal opinion.
1: I agree. And you know, for me, what I don't like about it personally is the fact that it sort of implies an arrival. Mm-hmm. And I, I personally do not want to arrive. I, I don't.
0: I I was just thinking this in my head is like, you can call me a master after I'm dead. Right. It's, because I I will never be there, but in somebody else's mind, after I'm dead, you can say whatever you want, right? Um, it, yeah, people say that. I just feel weird, humbled, and I'd say, no, I, I I've seen people do master work. I'm not doing. I do nice jobs, right? But yeah, it's not a master.
3: Yeah, it's. Oh, uh, I'm I'm fortunate that nobody's called me a master. <laughs> so maybe someday I'll be more like you guys. <laughs> I,
1: I see it as kind of an accusation more than anything.
0: <laughs> yeah, I I I think when people call me, they just don't know better. I well, like to there, think there it that way, that, right? <laughs> right? I mean, to yeah.
1: you know, a guy that uh, when your when your craft is jaw dropping to somebody, you know, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. But a lot of it depends on their lack of uh, exposure to dudes that really crush it.
2: (laughs) Yep.
0: Yeah. And you know what else I tend to tell people is I'm just doing my job. You're good at what you do. So
1: there you go. Yep.
0: That's really what I see it as. Don't ask, don't ask me to do paperwork.
2: Really.
1: Right. But I remember that thing that went around a a while ago that I remembered from about five years ago where, you know, 10,000 hours for mastery Mm -hmm. When I first heard that, like the very first time I heard it, I was like, huh, I wonder how many hours I have. So I started doing, you know, just some loose and went like, I think I stopped at 85,000 or 90. It was something, something (laughs) just stupid. It was like, oh, oh, okay. (laughs) I should be a lot better at what I do with the amount of hours that I've. (laughs)
0: I really am yeah, not that good really.
1: at this. <laughs> I'm that much of an of a moron that I have to do it ninety thousand hours to get a, a remedial uh, <laughs> working
2: yeah. knowledge. You know, the thing is, it's amazing how how quickly the time flies by. Yeah, like everyone sometimes assume the term or hand out the term master because they see everything you doing appears easy, or they feel like right. everything you are doing should be more complicated. And what it is is that, um, and this is very intimidating. Even when you study under a master, is that when you when you study under someone and you see how fluid and efficient and how quickly they are, um, you think you can quickly get to that point. But in reality, it's it's forty years. It's thirty years behind it. It's basically thousands of dovetail slots cut or. You know, tons of moldings being run, or ripping a ton of material, and you just over time become efficient. And you you screwed up so many times that you just have to come, drag yourself up, and just do it all over again. And that is kind of what makes you that master. That now everything seems so fluid and easy. And you know, it's one of those things that at one time long ago, I had you know Philo, one of my mentors, and, and Will Neptune um they were working in a shop together um getting material ready for a class and they didn't they barely spoke to each other but they all they knew exactly where the next person is going to be all the machines are mm-hmm. running and one board is going to the next person the next person they're doing next process next procedure and they were so fluid and i was just observing the 15 20 minutes and they just ran through all this material and they just smiled at each other and it's like we, we learned from the same mentor. We learned from the same person. Our approach is exactly the same. We just, you know, we were able to work together and it was, it was pretty amazing to see.
1: Yeah. We had a guy, uh, a good friend of mine and I um, worked together for, I don't know, five years or so. And we had a guy, an apprentice walk off the job. He quit. And we were like, okay, why are you quitting? And he said, because you guys, there's something you guys communicate without saying anything. And it's freaking me out because I don't know. I don't know how you're communicating, but you're both have your backs to each other. And one of them will turn around with a saw or a, you know, a tool and hand it to the, and the other one's reaching for it. Mm -hmm. And he said, I I can't take it. And he, he quit. (laughs) <laughs> it was like, but dude, oh, okay, see ya. <laughs> but, you know, it was just like, you know, like you're saying with those guys, it's just, you know, there's just a comfort level and a, and, you know, you're, you're, and this is a beautiful thing about the craft, too, is it's, it's full sensory, isn't it? I mean, you're listening to the load on the guy's uh, router that he's running, you're listening to mm-hmm. what that plane, you know, 15 feet away, what, how that plane is is singing, you know? And, and it's just this, when you're in that good, uh, what are they, what's the term now they're using flow state when you're in that state of, of being sort of this ball of sensory stuff, man, that's, that's where hours just fly by. And, and, and I think your skills go crazy too, because your brain gets out of your own way. Did I just get weird? I just got yeah. weird, didn't I?
0: <laughs> no, no, you're on autopilot. <laughs> it, it, it's, I, I had to go to the dentist on Monday and every time I go to this dentist, which is my dentist, right? His, every time I got to get a feeling, let's put it that way. Every time I get a feeling, I'm amazed by that mm-hmm. exact thing. It's him and his, his apprentice or not apprentice, his, uh, I don't know what you call it. Yeah, dental assistant, right. right? That works with them, right? And those two, same thing, barely talk anything. She's just always handing them the next thing or this or that. And yeah, they're doing 50 days a day, right? So they know what's going on. But it, it's just, it's exactly that. It's just, yeah. it's happening in front of you. And you're just in awe with your mouth wide open. But Literally <laughs> in, in awe. Right? Literally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you know, it, it's, it's a special thing you can yeah, end up with. It's... Amazing. All right. Let's go. You Let say we wrap it up. Yeah. Andy, where can everybody find you at?
1: Uh, you can find me on Facebook at Andy Burkey, B I R K E Y. Uh, same thing on Instagram and um, YouTube. So, and Twitter sort of occasionally. So I, I try to just like spread it around, shotgun approach. But, um, but it's all under Andy Burkey. So. Look me up, start the conversation,
0: It'll be fun. That sounds good. You can find me at on Instagram, Justin underscore Palma, or email me at jdfinewoodworking at gmail.com. How about you, guy?
3: Uh guyswoodshop.com. Freddy.
0: And then there's Freddie.
2: Periodcraftsman.com.
0: Okay. You can find all of us at the atg or the atg podcast at gmail.com if you have any questions. Andy, it was an absolute pleasure. Yeah, Thank you. Yeah, it was
1: great.
3: Nice to talk to you.
1: Guys, I had a ball, man. Anytime, call me anytime, I'd be more than anxious to come on again.
0: Great. We might have to do that.
3: Yeah. I appreciate it. I'll have to come All visit. Right. You're not that far from me.
1: Yeah, I know. Just, uh, what, three hours?
3: Yeah, two, two hours. Two and a half hours, somewhere mm-hmm. in there, yeah. You
0: guys should plan a date.
3: Yeah, plan a date. There it is.
1: We already did. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Publicly. <laughs> There it is. All right. Thank you.
3: Okay, we'll see you. Thanks, see ya. guys.